There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 31, 32 and 33 of Allegiant. So where we left off... Tobias and Triss sort of broke up, sort of didn't. Uriah sort of died, sort of didn't. Four sort of got in trouble, sort of didn't. We're in a bit of a state of flux. And also now Triss is looping in Kara about the simulation serum, the attack simulation serum that was given from the Bureau to Chicago and Matthew was eating some apple core. Okay, and so we pick up with chapter 31, which is a Tobias POV. And I'm not sure how much time has passed, but remember he's free and easy after helping people storm the Capitol. He's free and easy. And he says, I can't go back to the staring eyes and unspoken questions of the dormitory. I know I shouldn't return to the scene of my great crime, even though it's not one of the secure areas I'm barred from entering, but I feel like I need to see what's happening inside the city. So he goes to the room where all the security monitors are with all the video feeds from the city. And okay, so he got a slap on the wrist, right? And they said, as part of your parole, there'll be certain areas in the compound that you won't be allowed into. You won't have access to certain areas because yeah, he disabled the control room. And for some reason, the surveillance room is is not one of the areas he's not allowed into. Why, why, Why has he still got access to that? I don't think the Bureau are very bright. Maybe they're not the be all and end all villains of this book because they're not, they're not freaking bright, are they? They're just letting him run free. So he's in the control room. He calls it the control room. It must be a different control room to the other control room that he broke into to let the fringe people in who blew up the tunnels, etc., etc. It must be different. I don't know. He's allowed access to this control room inexplicably. And so he's scanning all the TVs, checking out Chicago, and then he spots Marcus. When we last saw Mark as he was getting expelled out of the city by Evelyn, and apparently he, he just said no thanks and just stayed in the city. So he's standing at the front of the Hancock building talking to Joanna, the head of Amity and the Allegiant. Now she should be hanging out at the farm with the Amity people, but she's not. So I guess she just hangs outside of the Hancock building now. And the front door of the Hancock building seems like a pretty out in the open spot for Marcus to be hiding out considering he was expelled. I don't know, you'd think he'd be trying to lay low, but apparently not. And so Tobias turns the volume up (laughs) because they 
have microphones everywhere. And Joanna is saying to Marcus, I knew you stayed in the city. They're looking all over for you. Well, they can't be looking that fucking hard if he's outside of the Hancock building. That's like one of the main thoroughfares of Chicago. And Marcus is like, wow, cool your tits. Like I contacted you because I thought you were a friend. Uh, Why are you coming in hot at me? And she says, well, I thought you contacted me because you knew I'm still the leader of the Allegiant and you want an ally. Again, I thought the Allegiant were like a secret society. And and how does he know that she's the leader? And why is she meeting him like out in the open? And remember how Joanna has like a scar on her face? For some reason, that's one of her defining characteristics. And with Tobias's POV, he, he brings it up like six or seven times. So he says, Joanna's standing there and a lock of hair falls over her scarred eye, just so we remember that she's got a scarred eye. And so Joanna with the scarred eye, she's like, oh, well, Marcus, our friendship's pretty much over. And he's like, why? And she says, well, I spoke to some of my candor friends and they told me what your son said when he was under truth serum, even though truth serum doesn't affect Tobias, apparently. Anyway, they know about him being abusive. And Marcus is like, ah, Tobias is talking shit. And she's like, I don't think he is. And Marcus is like, well, I'm a disciplinarian. You know, sometimes I had to discipline my wife and kids. And Joanna, she's like, ah, 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 ah. She says, a husband should not discipline his wife, not even an abnegation. And then her fingers skip over the scar on her cheek. (laughs) Okay. I'm loving what she's saying. I'm appreciating that she's laying down the law on this Marcus character. I just don't know why we need to be reminded of the scar on her face so many times. But then Tobias is talking about how he recognizes something in her and he thinks that maybe she also has been abused and he wonders who by. So I don't know, maybe they're getting at the scar being caused by her abuser. So that's very heavy. Anyway, so Marcus is just standing there all flummoxed. Like he doesn't know what to do now that he's been called out on his shit. And then Joanna's like, all right, well, what did you actually want me to come here for now that I've told you I hate you and that we're no longer friends, what can I do for you? Marcus says, Evelyn and the factionless are tyrants. The peace we experienced among the factions before Janine's first attack can be restored. I would argue that in a society where, yeah, the five main factions are not fighting, but you've still got a whole subsection of society who are considered less than the factionless, who are starving, who aren't housed, who have to fight for scraps. I'd say that's not a society at peace. But for Marcus, yes, that was a peaceful time and he wants to get back there. And he says, I think that's something you want too, Joanna. And she's like, you got me there. I I do, I do. How can we do that? And he says, well, here's my big plan. He says, Evelyn controls the city because she controls the weapons. But if we take those weapons away, she won't have the weapons and therefore she can be challenged. And I love how he tried to like break that down into more steps than it needed to be. It was just like, oh, let's just take her weapons. But he's like, if she doesn't have weapons, little known fact, it'll be hard for her to defend herself. Then she won't have the power. And without the power, then we can challenge her. It's like, okay, you got to steal her weapons. Like that's not some diabolical plan that I need to be broken down for me. But Joanna's like, okay, okay. And then Tobias says, I can only see the smooth side of her face from this angle. Okay, thanks. Thanks again for reminding me that she's got a face that's only half smooth. What? what?" And Joanna's like, all right, well, that's a big plan. How are we going to steal these weapons? And he says, look, 
let me join you in leading the Allegiant. Wow, he's not even asking to be a part of the Allegiant. He wants to be co-leader. The balls on this man, the cheek, the gall, the gumption, the nerve. Just to think he can actually lead the abnegation alongside her. Like you shouldn't even be here, mate. You've been excommunicated, get out of here. And that's what's so funny as well. Like the farms outside of the city, where the Amity compound is, he's been kicked out of the city. Why is this meeting not just happening at Amity? Like why, why are they both in the Hancock building? Anyway, so Joanna, she's like, who says I need you? And he says, oh, Joanna, the Allegiant are still too insignificant to be any more than a small uprising. There are more factionless than any of us knew. You do need me, you know it. Cause he's all like, I, I, I will lead the city. People will rally behind me. Who, what people? All the abnegation are dead. No one else has allegiance to you. Like, yeah, he was the pseudo leader, but shit's changed. A lot's happened since you were the pseudo leader of this city. And Tobias is like, this asshole. He has a way of persuading people without charm. He states his opinions as if they're facts and somehow his complete lack of doubt makes you believe him. Yet he's a mediocre white man. That's what they do. And Joanna says, all right, well, can you promise me that you will, wherever possible, try to limit the destruction we will cause. And he's like, yep. And she's like, all right, well, that's all I need to hear. What? See, because Joanna is the leader of the Amity. She's meant to be so much of a pacifist. She's meant to not want to do anything if it will cause conflict. I can't quite remember, but like when Triss and the gang were hiding out at Amity, wasn't Triss about to be kicked out because she punched Peter? And Joanna was like, well, That's unforgivable. And now she's saying to Marcus, just try and limit the casualties. I'm having trouble reconciling this Joanna with that Joanna. I feel like a lot's changed for Joanna then. And then she says, sometimes we need to fight for peace. Well, that's news to me, Dal. That's the complete opposite of what you've said previously. And she says, and you know what? I do think you'll be useful for people to rally behind. So she's getting played. So Tobias is like, oh, I better go get some fresh air. Enough of watching that. But then his eye catches a different camera and this camera is trained on Evelyn. So he watches her for a bit and she's in her room and she's like crouched on the floor with papers scattered all around and he thinks she's crying. And she's like, what, why is she crying? And then some factionless with an armband comes in and says, hey, just got an update from the patrols, Evelyn. They say they haven't seen any sign of Marcus. Well, they're not looking fucking hard, are they? He's just out the front of the Hancock building. He's just down the road, guys. And they're like, haven't seen him. Don't know where he is. And Evelyn's like, oh, that's right. I exile him. And then he stays in the city just to piss me off. Classic ex-husband. And this factionless Therese, she's like, well, maybe he's being harbored by the Allegiant. And she's like, yeah, of course he is. She says, well, obviously. And Therese's like, don't worry, we'll find him. Oh, he can't have gone too far. I swear we'll find him. Well, I don't think you're looking that hard to raise. Like, I'm sorry to say it. And also, how do you know he's not out of the city? If he's out of the city, then presumably you can't find him. So when you can't find him, how do you know he's inside the city? I don't So then Therese leaves, Evelyn's just standing there. And then Four in turn is just standing there watching her on the camera. And he says, I feel like what I have become is halfway between my mother and my father, violent and impulsive and desperate and afraid. I feel like I have lost control of what I have become. And that's the end of the chapter. So, okay, boohoo, Tobias is having a crisis. Then chapter 32 is a Triss POV and she's been summoned to David's office. And she's like, oh, I hope he doesn't bring up how I tried to use him as a human shield. Like, oh, that'd be awkward. And also that time when I said I would happily shoot him in the head. 
if it meant Nita not getting a control of the weapon. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Hopefully he didn't remember that detail. And she meets up with Zoe to go to David's office. And we haven't seen Zoe in a while. And we also haven't seen George Wu, Tori's brother. I haven't seen him in a while either. All these characters got brought in and then they just have disappeared for the past few weeks. George and Tobias were like besties and now they never hang out anymore. I guess when you fake a death, you do grow apart. I don't know. And Tris also just beat Caleb up the other day and we haven't touched down on that. There's been no repercussions for that yet. It's almost as if like Veronica Roth's not really able to juggle all of these different storylines and yet there's no story. So I don't know how she can't juggle a few little aspects of the storyline. I don't know. So they're walking to David's office and Zoe says, oh, he'll be in a wheelchair, by the way. Don't make a big deal of it. He doesn't like to be pitied. And I feel like everyone's made a big deal of it. Like a couple of chapters ago, she was like, oh, the update for David is he might not ever walk again, but he's alive. And everyone's like, oh, that's great. That's great. And then next minute, someone else is saying, oh, David's, David's in a wheelchair now, guys. He might not be able to walk again. He's been shot in both legs, but he's, he's alive. He's doing fine. We're just getting constant updates on David's legs. So Zoe says he doesn't like to be pitied. And Tris is like, well, I don't. I don't pity him. He's not the first person to be shot. <laughs> oh, I love when she's a hard ass, actually. I think I called her a douche last week, but yeah, sometimes when she's a douche, it can be refreshing. It's not really how you make conversation with someone just to shoot them down and be like, I don't pity him. <laughs> I've been shot too, bitch. <laughs> like, yeah, not the best way to make a convo flow, but... She's living in her truth. I appreciate it. So they enter the office and there's David sitting in a wheelchair. She says his legs are covered in a stiff material to keep the bones in place so they can heal, I assume. Okay. And so he sees Tris and he's like, oh, Tris, you're so brave. How are your injuries? And she's like, meh, I've had worse. (laughs) I've had worse. What about you? I know Zoe said, don't pity him, but she is just really pulling back on the compassion, isn't she? Like, yeah, I'm fine. What about you? Like, I don't care. I don't care. What are you doing? But we need to remember that she does think that he's evil because she thinks it's his fault that pretty much all of the abnegation got murdered. So, okay. Yeah, that's something. That explains why maybe she's not being uh, very sympathetic. And David says, oh, don't worry about me. They think I'm going to walk again. Might take a while before I can walk again, but they think I'm going to walk again. It's like, okay, great. David will walk again, praise be. So then he says, I asked you to come here mostly so that I could thank you. I can't think of many young people who would have come after me instead of running for cover or who would have been able to save this compound the way you did. And she's like, yeah, yeah, it's piece of piss. Think nothing of it. And so then he says, but I have got some plans for you, Tris. He says, I am the official leader of this compound. But apart from that, we have a similar system of governance to the abnegation. So I'm advised by a small group of counselors and I would like you to begin training for that position. And immediately, I don't know if I trust this. I don't know if this is a keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer situation. And I think Tris, she's also got her bullshit detector on. And he says, we're gonna need to make some changes around here now that we've been attacked. We're going to have to take a stronger stand for our cause. And I think you know how to do that. And I don't like the sound of that, but Tris is like, he's right. I am probably the best person for the job. I am pretty good in a crisis. So she says, all right, well, what would this training entail? And he says, I oh, come to meetings, learning the ins and outs of the compound, how we function, our history, our values, blah, blah, blah. 
I can't actually let you be a part of the council at this age, um, but there's a track you can follow. And then one day down the road, if you want to, you can be like an advisor. And she's thinking, oh yeah, these councillors he's talking about are probably the same ones that authorized the attack simulation and ensured that that serum went to Janine. So she's like, I need to be among them. I need to learn who they are. So she says, yep, I'll be honored, David, thanks. Sign me up. And David's like, woohoo, that's great. I thought you would say yes. It's something I wanted your mother to do with me before she volunteered to enter the city. But I think she'd fallen in love with the place from afar and couldn't resist it. And she's like, fallen in love with the city? And he's like, yeah, I know, crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know, she liked the city. And I don't know why he's being coy. Like, clearly her mum fell in love with her dad in the city. And also David must know that she knows this since he's the one that gave her the journal where she said all of this. But no, so they're both playing coy and she's like, oh, were you close to my mother while you were here? Um, I've been reading her journal, but she doesn't really say very much. Even though we know that's not the case. She's writing letters to David, what? And he's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. We were pretty close, I guess. He says, we had a similar history. I was also plucked out of a damaged world as a child. And okay, then we get his backstory, which we've all been begging for. He says, my parents were severely dysfunctional people who were both taken to prison when I was young. Okay. Rather than succumbing to an adoption system overburdened with orphans, my siblings and I ran to the fringe, the same place where your mother went, and only I came out of there alive. Oh, that's sad. And then he says, speaking of the fringe, I'll take you out there tomorrow. Well, maybe not him directly, but someone's going to take her out there tomorrow to check out the fringe. He says it's something you know, important for a future council member to see. And she's like, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to see the fringe where all your family died and (laughs) where my mother hung out and did she not kill someone or I don't know. The fringe doesn't sound great, but she's like, yeah, I'll be delighted. And he's like, cool, cool, cool. Well, I got shit I need to do. So you want to rack off? Our first council meetings on Friday. So I'll, I'll see you then. Bye. And so then she says, I feel frantic. I didn't ask him what I wanted to ask him. I don't think there was even an opportunity. It's too late now anyway. And so she leaves. I don't actually know what she wanted to ask him. I can't quite recall that. Were we privy to that information? Unclear. But then as she's leaving, he's like, oh, and by the way, Tris, I may have been under the influence of a serum cocktail at the time, even though we were told that the serum wouldn't work on him, but it did work on him. But I guess, but I know what you said to keep them from shooting at us. And I know you told them you would kill me to protect what was in the weapons lab. And she's like, oh, oh, you, you do remember that, huh? She's like, rot row. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. That's part of the reason why I asked you to join the counselor training track because you demonstrated the quality I most need in my advisors, the ability to make sacrifices for the greater good. And he thinks he's complimenting her in that moment, but she's thinking, well, you sacrificed all of the abnegation to protect what you thought was the greater good, which was the continuation of the experiment. So she's like, I'm nothing like you, bud. Even though she was more than willing to sacrifice David. (laughs) So then she says, well, what would have happened actually if they had set off another explosion to get into the weapons lab? Nita said it would trigger a backup security measure if they did, but it seems like the most obvious solution to their problems. Why didn't they just do it? And he says, ah, well, actually, a serum would have been released into the air one that masks could not have protected against because it is absorbed into the skin, okay? One that even the genetically pure cannot fight off. Well, I assume probably the inoculated could have. 
And he says, I don't know how Nita knows about it since it's not supposed to be public knowledge, but I suppose we'll find out some other time. And she says, what does the serum do? And he says, let's just say it's bad enough that Nita would rather be in prison for the rest of her life than come into contact with it. And that's the end of the chapter. So implying that if they were to try to force their way into the weapons lab, this airborne serum would have been released. It would have gone into people's skin and killed them. So it was an airborne death serum, which is exactly the thing that they were trying to get from the weapons lab. So it seems like everyone's very willy nilly about the death serum. And I just think it's interesting that Nita's not meant to know about it, but surely you'd advertise that so that it would be a deterrent for people not to break into the weapons lab. Like, oh, if you break into the weapons lab, you'll die. I don't know why you'd keep that a secret. I guess you don't really advertise security measures like that, but it all just seems overcomplicated, convoluted. I imagine people are just inoculating themselves against that airborne serum virus anyway. I just don't know why death serums are so prolific and yet also never used. There's been wars and wars and wars and the death serum never came into it. The Bureau wanted Janine to kill all of abnegation. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Because they were worried that abnegation were going to release the video of Edith Pryor, even though it's a fake propaganda video that would have served the Bureau's purpose anyway. Or, or, or did they know it was fake? I don't know. I'm still confused by that. But they wanted to kill all of abnegation. And so they said the best way to do that is to create an attack simulation serum, give that to Janine. So she can then shoot that up at everyone in Dauntless on their fear serum day. She'll sneak it into their fear serum. 
and then they'll have mind control powers and they can control the Dauntless army and then they can kill Abnegation. It's like, okay, well, why wouldn't you have just used the death serum if you had death serum on your hands? You don't even need to shoot people up one by one. You just throw a canister of death serum into the Abnegation sector and it'll seep into their skin. Boom, done, dead. They have that technology and so they, they go the attack simulation route? What the what? Uh, so then we go to chapter 33. It's a Tobias POV. And he's walking into the dormitory and Peter's there. And Peter goes, oh, look who it is, the traitor. It's like, okay, a bit, bit fucking rich coming from you, Peter. And Peter's also got all these maps spread out over his cot and all of those books. Remember like a couple of weeks ago, we got that little, weird little tidbit that he was carrying around books. And it just seemed so fucking random. Well, apparently he's into books now. And he's looking at all these maps of the world and maps of Chicago. And he's drawn like Chicago on maps. And Tobias is like, Peter, what's with all the maps? He's like, I'm going to ask you what we're all thinking. What's your newfound obsession with maps? And Peter says, well, I'm having trouble getting my head around it. The world, actually. I love how he just called this guy a traitor in like a tone that suggests like, get out of here. We don't want you here, you big traitor. And then he says, what's with the maps? And he's like, well, I'm glad you asked. Let me sit you down and explain some geography. He says, I've actually been learning from some of the people at the Bureau about planets and bodies of water, things like that. Um, Check out all these maps. This is how big Chicago is. And this is how big the rest of the world is. Like, can you believe it? We've only ever been in this tiny little red circle on this map. He says, you could cut that piece of land out of the ground and sink it into this ocean and no one would even notice. And Tobias is like, okay, so you're really into maps now. Good to know. And Tobias goes, okay, and so like, what of it? And, oh, I think this has backfired. Like, I thought maybe Peter was getting enlightened. I thought maybe by him recognizing the scope of the world, he'd be less narcissistic, but no. He says, everything I've ever worried about or said or done, how can it matter? How can it matter if we're this insignificant and small? It doesn't. So I guess he he doesn't regret stabbing people in the eye and trying to throw Triss off a bridge and Everything else that he's done, he's like, ah, oh, well, doesn't matter. It's, it, it doesn't matter because we're so small and the world's so big. And Tobias is like, um, it still matters. Actions matter and consequences matter. And he's like, no, nah, they don't. Tobias is like, I see how the mammoth planet that terrifies me seems like a haven to him, a place where he can disappear into its great space, never distinguishing himself and never being held responsible for his actions. Oh boy. Yeah, that's a kettle of fish. Although like Peter, you're just looking at maps. You're actually contained within the bureau, which is the size of an airport. Your whole world's the size of Chicago O'Hare Airport at the moment. And so, yeah, your actions do still have consequences. I don't know how realizing that the earth is round changes that. And Tobias makes a crack about him being a psychopath. And then Peter just says, oh, I'm not a psychopath. If I was a psychopath, I would have killed you in your sleep by now. I actually think that's something that a psychopath would say, Peter. And Tobias says, oh yeah, and add my eyeballs to your eyeball collection, no doubt. Just making a joke over that guy that got his eyeballs stabbed out. Like, jeez. I know sometimes you want to crack a joke to bring levity to like a difficult situation, but oh boy, I mean, are we really ready to be joking about stabbing people in the eye? And then Tobias goes, ah, I just realized that I'm exchanging jokes and conversation with this initiate who stabbed Edward in the eye and tried to kill my girlfriend. (laughs) It's crazy. And then he's like, oh, is she still my girlfriend? And now he's worried that he doesn't know what his relationship status is with Tris. Then Peter jokes that Tobias 
should join his group of hated people club, which is just made up of Peter and Caleb. And Tobias is like, ugh, yeah, of course you're on Triss's bad side because you almost killed her. That's fair enough. And then his stomach clenches because he realizes that his actions almost led to her death as well with the disabling of the security system in the control room that he still has access to. And he thinks if she had been standing closer to the explosion, she might be like Uriah, hooked up to tubes in the hospital, her mind quiet. So Uriah's still in a coma, by the way. And he thinks, no wonder she doesn't know if she wants to stay with me or not. This has been a wild chapter, hasn't it? It's only been a couple of pages, but we're talking about maps, we're talking about eyeballs, we're talking about Uriah in a coma. I don't really know what I was expecting, but it wasn't this. Also, we dropped the storyline of Triss introducing Kara to the simulation serum. That's what it seems like. We had, we had a whole cliffhanger with Matthew chewing on an apple core and she was about to show her their evidence and then we just dropped that and, and we didn't pick it up again. So then Peter's bitching about Triss because everyone who's tried to kill her has been ostracized from her influence. And to me, that seems fair enough, but he's like, ugh. He says, I'm just saying, if she decides someone is worthless, everyone follows suit. That's a strange talent for someone who used to be just another boring stiff and maybe too much power for one person to have. Like what, you stab someone in their eyeball and this is what you take umbrage with? And so Four's like, oh, fuck this guy. So he leaves. He's like, have fun reading your maps, you big square. And then he walks off. He goes to the garden and then Kara's jogging. <laughs> okay, she's just jogging. And so she runs past and she's like, oh, hey, Four. And he's like, oh, hey, Kara. And then we do pick up the pieces with Triss's big reveal to Kara that the simulation attack serum was supplied by the Bureau to the city, to Janine. So Kara says, we're having a meeting, your presence is required. And he's like, who's we? And she says, GDs and GD sympathizers who don't want to let the Bureau get away with certain things, but we're better planners than the last ones you fell in with. So she wants him to join a group of people who want to overthrow the Bureau, but she's still shading him for joining the other people who tried to overthrow the Bureau. Does anyone else feel like we're splitting hairs here? And Four says, oh, so you know about the attack simulation then? And she says, better. I actually recognize the simulation serum in the microscope when Triss showed it to me. So she's so smart. She didn't even need the microcode computer program to tell her what the code was. She just recognized it. So she's like, yeah, I know. And I'm not happy about it. And he's like, well, I'm not getting involved again. Like not my circus, not my monkeys. And she's like, don't be a fool. The truth you heard is still true. These people are still responsible for the deaths of most of the abnegation and the mental enslavement of the Dauntless and the utter destruction of our way of life. Something has to be done about them. And if I were four, I'd be like, bitch, I tried. I got swept into one rebellion. I got a slap on the wrist. And now you want me to join another rebellion with the same fucking purpose, with just a, a varying degree of difference. He's feeling bad. Peter's making him feel bad. Everyone's making him feel bad. He just got broken up with for being involved in a rebellion. And now all these same people who are judging him are like, join another rebellion. (laughs) I just, I I don't get it. But he's like, all right, Kara, yeah, got me. Okay, let's go. So they go down the hotel hallway and they're going to another meeting. There's a lot more meetings in this book than I thought there'd be, to be honest. And as they're walking to the meeting room, he says to her, oh, it's strange not to see you in blue. This again. Ah, the segregation of groups by their color clothing. (sighs) Ah, 
And she says what I'm thinking. She goes, I think it's time to let that go. She says, even if I could go back, I wouldn't want to at this point, which is something big for her to say since she's the leader of the Allegiant, whose whole purpose and aim is to bring back the faction system. So if she's over the color-coded clothing, then you know it's off the table. And so he says, oh, so you don't miss the factions? And she says, I do actually. Like, oh my God, we're just going in circles. And so then he's staring at her and he thinks, enough time has passed between Will's death and now that I no longer see him when I look at her. I just see Kara. I've known her far longer than I knew him. What? How long has it been? I, I do feel like it's not been that long. Maybe two months? Has it been two months? I don't know. But everyone's over Will's death except for me, apparently. And she says, I thrived in Erudite. So many people devoted to discovery and information. It was lovely. But now that I know how large the world is, well, I've grown too large for my faction. So I think the main villain of this series is actually Maps. Now that they know how big the world is, Kara is a completely different person. She's changed all her values and morals and beliefs. And Peter, he's turned into a psychopath, even more of a psychopath. He's doubling down on the actions don't have consequences rhetoric. All because of Maps. Maps have really thrown a spanner in the works, haven't they? So they get to the labs where Matthew works. She knocks on the door, he opens it, and he's eating another fucking apple. What is it with this Matthew guy and eating apples? He's always munching on an apple. Where is he getting all of these apples? Is there an apple farm that they've made like in between gates at the airport? Where's this fresh produce coming from? So inside the lab, there's Tris, there's Christina. They're all giving him dirty looks because he was involved in a rebellion, even though they are organizing a rebellion at this point in time. And even Caleb got the call up. So Caleb's in there too. And Four is staring at Caleb and he's like, oh my God, he's got bruises all over his face. What the fuck happened to him? And then he looks at Triss's knuckles and he sees that they're also discolored. And he's like, oh, she's beaten him up. So then Triss says, everyone, we know these people are responsible for the attacks on abnegation and they can't be trusted. We know that we want to do something about it. And the previous attempt to do something, and she looks at Four and she goes, was ill-advised. We can do better. So same, same, but different in my opinion. She says, all I know right now is that I want to expose them for what they are. To whom? To who and to whom? She says, the entire compound can't possibly know what their leaders have done. And I think we should show them. So even though everyone's been studying maps and realizing how big the world is, her plan of attack is just to show the people who work at the airport, what type of people the leaders are. She just wants to expose David and the leadership of the compound to the people in the compound. That's all. Just, that's just her tiny little scope. Then she says, maybe then they'll elect new leaders, ones who won't treat the people inside the experiments as expendable. Okay, what new leaders is she talking about? I, I, I don't think there's been an election for this David character. David, who's been around since your mum was a kid and is still the leader, like there's clearly not term limits. He's just said leadership is similar to the abnegation, meaning it's him and people advise him. I don't know why she thinks she can instigate a a general election. Why does she, this is her big plan. The The more I hear of her new plan, that is apparently better thought out than Nita's, I'm siding with Nita. So to expose this leadership, 
to the people in the compound. She thinks that maybe she'll do a widespread truth serum infection, even though the genetically pure people are not meant to be affected by the truth serum. We just got confirmation that the truth serum doesn't work on David, but it it sort of does. So I don't know, there is a gray area, I guess. And four says, I remember the weight of the truth serum filling me in all my empty places, lungs and belly and face. I remember how impossible it seemed to me that Tris had lifted that weight enough to lie. Which suggests that truth serum does work on him, even though the, the people who just interrogated him last week refused to use truth serum on him because they thought it wouldn't work on him. So they just asked him questions and hoped that he was telling the truth. What the, the consistency of truth serums is driving me crazy. So four says, GPs don't get affected by truth serum. And Matthew says, that's not necessarily true. Oh, here we go. He says, we don't see that many divergent resisting truth serum, just Triss in recent memory. And yet, uh, if that's the case, why did we think it wouldn't work on four? Why did Nita think it wouldn't work on David? Why does anyone think anything? I thought we explained divergence as just being genetically pure but apparently we've swung back around to Triss being the exception and being like uber divergent. She's super fucking genetically pure and her capacity for serum resistance is higher than in other people. So clearly no one knows what they're fucking talking about. So maybe the linchpin of their plan shouldn't be to have a widespread truth serum infection. Like what the, ah. So Matthew, he's like, oh, Caleb, since you've worked on serums before as a 16 year old initiate in Erudite, you're the expert on serums now. So could you actually help us develop a truth serum that's more difficult to resist? Although again, I'm thinking that the Kanda already have that technology. Didn't they develop a truth serum that was more difficult to resist? Oh, I don't know. But we're back to square one with the truth serum technology. <sighs> and Caleb's like, I don't actually work with serums anymore. And Matthew's like, well, fucking do it. And Triss is like, shut up, Caleb. So Caleb and Triss exchange a look. And Force says, the skin on his face and her knuckles is the same color, purple, blue, green. This is what happens when siblings collide. They injure each other the same way. Uh, I don't know if I'd be describing it as they injure each other. Uh, She punched him in the face and hurt her knuckles from her punching him in the face. It's not like he caused the injury to her knuckles. But Caleb, he doesn't want to get punched again. So he's like, fine, I'll work on the serums. And Kara's like, I'll help because I'm also an erudite. Therefore, I'm an expert on serums. Triss then asks Christina and Tobias to get in with Reggie because he'll know more about the secret backup security measures to get into the weapons lab that David mentioned that Nita knew about. And Christina's like, uh, I don't want to do that secret mission with Four. I hate Four because he joined a rebellion against the Bureau. So if I'm going to work against the Bureau, I'd rather not do that with Four. And Four's like, well, actually, I've already built a rapport with Reggie from that time we were together in a rebellion against the Bureau. So if I want to get information for our next rebellion against the Bureau, it might be helpful to lean on that relationship. So they're like, fine, fine, Four, get on it. Talk to Reggie. So now they're looping in Reggie, a member of the other rebellion that they all hate so much, to work on this next rebellion. Then Matthew, he says, okay, all settled then. I think we should meet again after Triss has been to the council meeting on Friday. Meet here at five. So then four goes up to Triss after the meeting's ended and he's like, hey, we should have a chat. And she's like, okay. And he's staring at her and he's like, oh, I can't even remember the last time I kissed her. What? It was like 
two days ago. You were in the dorm, remember? It was just after you looked at the family trees that were engraved on the walls and it turned you on so you went and made out with your girlfriend. It's not that hard to remember. But he's like, I try to remember the last time I kissed her and I can't. I can't. It's been days, mate. Days. So they go into the hallway. They're alone. And he says, do you think you'll ever forgive me? And she goes, I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. And he says, you know, I never meant for Uriah to get hurt, right? Like I had no clue about that. And she's like, yeah, I know that. But a lot of people did get hurt because you didn't listen to me. She doesn't care that Uriah is in a coma. She just cares that he took the side of pretty Nita, Nate's with the receipts, instead of siding with her gut instinct, which did prove to be correct. But still, he says, I thought your judgment was clouded because you were jealous, which oh, I don't think is what you say to your girlfriend slash maybe ex-girlfriend. When you're fighting about this, you don't say, I didn't trust your judgment because you were clouded with jealousy. You don't say that. And she's like, oh, I get it. You think I can't behave rationally. And I don't know if she can. That's just my perspective, having read her run towards explosions, run towards gunshots without holding a gun herself, joining up with the abusive father, Marcus, and not knowing why her boyfriend might be upset by that running to Erudite when they said that they wanted to kill her. Like, yeah, there's been a lot of instances, Tris, where I have probably thought you're not that rational, but apparently that's a, a, that's a trigger point for her because she's like, I am rational. How dare you? And he's like, I didn't mean it like that. She's like, you were wrong. You were the one who was wrong. And he's like, yeah, I was wrong. I just admitted that. He's like, I made a mistake. My best friend's brother is as good as dead. You're punishing me for it. You're not my parent, Tris. You don't get to tell me what to do, what to choose. And she's like, stop yelling at me. So yeah, they're having a big old blue in the hallway. How embarrassing. And then she starts to cry and he's like, oh, haven't seen her cry in a while. And again, I don't think it's been that long since she's cried. I don't know. I'm, I don't have the best memory when it comes to this book because it, every week when I finish recording an episode, I try and block it out of my memory. So excuse me for missing some nuance, but I can't remember when she last cried either, but I don't think it was that long ago. And she says, I just need some time. Okay. And he goes, okay. So she walks off crying and he says, I feel bare, like there's nothing left to protect me against pain. Her absence stings worst of all. Her absence stings. She's just there, mate. You just had a big chat with her, a big fight with her in the hallway. But I get what you mean. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter. I'll see you guys next week for the next set of chapters. Fuck, something's going to have to happen soon, right? Oh boy. I know I say that every week, but Jiminy Crickets. All right, see you then. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading.